Some will and some won't. I begin today with that statement, some will and some won't. We begin today with this reality, some will and some won't. Are you thirsty? Some are going to realize they're thirsty and they're going to go and get a drink. And some are going to be thirsty and they're not going to get a drink. Some will and some won't. That's where we begin today as we continue our journey. Today will be the 14th sermon through the Gospel of John. We'll begin John 7, 31. Many among the crowds at the temple believed in him, in Jesus. Now, now understand where we are. Many believe in Jesus. After all, they said, would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? When the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering these things or such things, they and the leading priests sent temple guards to arrest Jesus. Now, now you got to understand where we're starting today. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's at the festival in Jerusalem. And a bunch of the crowd has come to the conclusion, his teachings, his miracles, what? They've come to the conclusion he's the Messiah. He's the, he's the one God promised would come. He's our Savior. And when the leaders, the religious leaders, heard that whisper in the crowd, what did they do? They sent guards to arrest him. I want you to begin today with this difference between the two positions. One side, he's the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and the other side is, get the handcuffs out, let's take him to jail. Where's the middle? Where's the neutral? Some will. Some won't. I want you to think about the gap between those two positions. It's in the middle of that gap. Jesus stands in the middle of that gap. One side says he's the Messiah. The other side says he's a fake. It's in the middle of that gap that Jesus says these words. And I'll give you a hint. Look for them. He will announce four things. Here we go. Verse 33, Jesus told them, I will be with you only a little longer. Then I will return to the one who sent me. You will search for me, but not find me. And you cannot go where I am going. Would you have known what that meant had you been there that day? If you were listening and he said those four things, would you have said, oh, I get it. Do you know Today, what those four things mean? Four statements from Jesus as he stands in the gap between believers and unbelievers. What are they? I won't be here much longer. Now, I want you to imagine, he's, some, some are saying he's the Messiah, some are calling for the guards to come get him. And in the middle of those two, what does he say? Four things. I won't be here much longer. I'm going to leave and go back where I came from to the Father you will search for me, but you will not find me, and you cannot go where I am going. Now, I got to tell you, I get it. I don't think they get it. Well, I have an advantage. I'm on this side of history, and I've read the rest of the story. They have not had a chance at that moment to read the rest of the story. Do you get it? So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you understand how and why he said those four things 
in that context. Again, I won't be here much longer. I'm going to go back where I came from. You will search for me, but you won't find me. And where I'm going, you won't be able to go. Is he trying to confuse people? No, he's just telling them the truth. Some will and some won't get it. Do you get it? Are you thirsty? Next verse. Let's see how they responded. The Jewish leaders were puzzled at his statement. Where is he planning to go, they asked. Is he thinking of leaving the country and going to the Jews in other lands? Maybe he will even teach the Greeks or the Gentiles. What does he mean when he says, you will search for me but not find me, and you cannot go where I am going? Today, I'm asking, do you get it? Some will, some won't. You know who's going to get it today? Not then, but today, those who know him. Do you know him? Because if you know him, those four things make perfect sense to you. Do you know him? If you don't know him, you won't find him then. If you don't know him now, there's a day you won't find him then. You see, he says, I'm leaving. I'm going where I came from. You will search for me, but you won't find me because you won't, you won't be able to go where I'm going. Why? Because you don't know me. Do you know him? If you knew him, if you knew, let's just be practical. If you knew in that scene, or if you knew today that Jesus was from God, he's not from Bethlehem, he's not from Israel, he's from God, he came from heaven. His daddy's not Joseph, his daddy's not a man, he's a heavenly, he's God the Father, all of the glory of God poured inside of human flesh. If you knew that and he was going to heaven, you would do everything possible to connect yourself to him. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Those connected to Jesus by faith won't have to find him. He'll find you because you belong to him. What he's revealing here is this. These people in the crowd that are calling for the guards, they still don't know who he is. If they knew who he was, they would not be calling for the guards. Can you really put handcuffs on God? They don't know who he is. And because they don't know who he is, he says, you won't be able to go where I'm going. You won't find me if you look for me. So where was Jesus going? See, we have the advantage of the rest of the Scripture. So if I fast forward to John chapter 14, let's do that because I want, to expl- I, want, I want to read what Jesus himself says about where he's going. He says, I'm, what did he say? I won't be here much longer. I'm going to return to the Father. You will search for me but not find me. And you cannot go where I'm going. So where are you going, Jesus? John 14, 2. There is more than enough room in my father's home. Where's he going? He's going to his father's house. If this were, if this were not so, what, what? If there's not more than enough room there. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way where I'm going, do you? Some will and some won't. You know the key to knowing the way to where he's going is knowing who he is. 
if you still think he's Joseph's boy, you're not going to understand where he's going or what he's doing when he gets there. Remember, all of this is happening at the Festival of Shelters in Jerusalem, and the scene of this story is about to take a dramatic shift. He's about to announce something I consider a revelation. It is in this scene. One side thinks he's Messiah, the other one's calling the guards. He makes this statement, I'm going, you won't be able to follow me. I'm leaving soon. I'm going where I came from. They're still not getting it. And here he releases the revelation. Verse 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and he shouted. How many times do you see him shouting? Not very many. So he's shouting what? Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. So I want you to visual, visualize a physical reality. He stands amongst a bunch of people in Jerusalem and he says what? Anyone's thirsty? Come to me. Some will and some won't. Are you thirsty? Anybody? Next verse. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. What's the condition of coming to drink? Believe. Anyone who believes in me can come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So how do you get this living water? Hey, hey, anybody thirsty? Come, you can get a drink. He says that to the crowd. Now the ones wanting to call the guards, they probably think, see, I told you, he's nuts. But the ones who believe that he came from God, they're interested in this water. So how do you get this water? Remember the story of the woman at the well? He meets her and what? She says, the well is deep and you don't have a bucket. So how do you get this water? What is the water? What's Jesus offering? Jesus is offering to satisfy the thirst of the people. And how might he satisfy them? How might you be satisfied? Can I ask you a question today? I've asked you several times, are you thirsty? But what I'm really asking is this. Are you satisfied? Have you experienced enough? Let me give you a couple of physical realities to describe my question. We have something inside of us that tells us when we're thirsty. Our body sends a signal to our brain. I have no idea how that works. And it says, you need to put some water in here. Things are drying up. You need to put some water in here. It's called thirsty. Now you go and get a drink of water and you start pouring it inside of this body, and another signal comes. Stop. That's enough water. You see, you have something that tells you that you thirst, and you have something that tells you when it's enough. Your thirst is real, but your thirst has been satisfied. You know how your thirst got satisfied? It's enough. It's enough. So I'm going to ask you, are you satisfied? Now that's a physical reality. I'm asking spiritually speaking, have you experienced enough? 
Let me give you a second physical example because this is real to me. I've had a lot of people over the years ask me a lot of questions about drinking alcohol. Now, I've made my point very clear in the church about drinking alcohol. I don't drink alcohol of any kind. It's a choice that I make. And I've had people ask me why I take that position because, Terry, you yourself preached that Jesus turned the water into wine. So why do you take this position on alcohol? Here it is. I'm not thirsty. This is not complicated. I'm not thirsty. See, I don't have anything inside of me that says that I need to put that inside of me to fill up something that's empty inside of me because I don't really have that part empty. So my body's not really asking for something because I'm not thirsty. I I don't really feel the need to get more loosey-goosey than I already am, if that's a word. I don't really feel the need to be numbed inside because of my circumstances. I don't, I don't really feel any, I'm not thirsty, so I don't drink. I suppose if I was thirsty, I might drink, but I'm not thirsty. I can say that I have experienced enough. So I ask you a question. Are you thirsty? And here's why. I see a lot of people these days that are thirsty. I see a lot of people in the world that the reality is they're thirsty. They have never really, if they would be honest, they really don't have enough. There's something missing. Something down deep that's not satisfied. Something down deep that cries out that's not enough. This living water that Jesus offers is not H2O. When he shouts to the crowd in Jerusalem, anyone thirsty, come and you may drink. He's not talking about two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. That's not what it is. He's talking about peace in your soul. Peace in your heart. So let me ask you again in that context. Peace in your soul. Peace in your heart. One of my favorite old Christian songs If you ever traveled with me in the car and I didn't know you were in the car, you would hear me sing, It is well with my soul. That's what he's offering. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sweet billows row, like sea billows row, whatever my lot, it is well with my soul. That's the water he offers up us, living water. They're going to flow into your heart, not into your mouth. What he's talking about is a a river that flows, not a one-time drink, not a one-time drop, but a river that flows enough forever into your soul, not your mouth. Rivers of water are going to flow enough. And what is this river of water? Listen, here's the big first big event. And what is this river of water, living water, that he offers? What is it? What is it? Verse 39. In fact, this is one of the most clearest descriptions in the Bible. Verse 39. When he, Jesus said, living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. Who gets this water? Who gets this Spirit? Everyone 
who believes in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. He had not yet left, so the Spirit had not yet come. But he's coming. And what is he? It's not a it. It's not a thing. It's water. What is it? It's Jesus. Stay with me. Where are you going, Jesus? What did he say? I won't be here much longer. I'm going to go where I came from. Where are you going, Jesus? I'm going to the Father in heaven. What about us, Jesus? We believe you're the Messiah, and you're going to leave us all alone here. I'll give you something to satisfy your thirsty souls, to satisfy you until we meet again. And what I give you, it'll be like a river of living water. It'll be enough. He's enough. I will give you, listen church, me. How? I will give you me. Now if you're in the room today, or if you were in that crowd today, and you still think he came from Bethlehem, you'd find this to be difficult to understand. But what if he's not from Bethlehem? And what if he's not from Joseph? And he says, I'll give you me. I'm leaving. I'm going to the Father. You'll look for me. You won't find me. But I'll give you me after I leave. How? How? John 14, verse 17. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him. It's a person, not a thing, not a it. He is the Holy Spirit. He leads into all truth. And the world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and it doesn't recognize Him. But you know Him because He lives with you now. Please don't miss it. Jesus is announcing in John 14 that the Holy Spirit is here living with you now, but in the future He'll be in you, not with you in you. No, Jesus said, I will not abandon you as orphans. But you said you were going to leave. Yeah, I'm leaving, but I will not abandon you as orphans. Who's coming? Who's coming? The Holy Spirit. No, no, no. Who's coming? I will come to you. I thought you were leaving. I am. Well, how are you coming? I am. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Did you catch that? I am in you, you are in me, and we are in the Father. Listen, when I take communion, almost all the time when I take communion, this is what enters my mind. I am taking the, the bread, the body of Christ, and the blood of Christ. I am taking, I am remembering that Christ is in me. I am bringing inside of me the blood and the body of Christ. So Christ is in me, and his promise is if he is in me, I am in him, and we are in the Father. Now see, I believe that with all of my heart, that I am in him, he is in me, and together we are in the Father. Now let me read that last verse, 20, one more time. When I am raised to life again, well that's right now. That's right now. He's already been raised to life again. Don't be waiting for this one. It's already happened. When I am raised to life again, you will know. Do you know? 
Do you know? I'm asking. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Not on you, but in you. That's how he satisfies your soul. He used to be with them, now he is in them. The world is thirsty, and the world will remain thirsty because they're not looking for the living water that satisfies the soul. Some will, some won't. I want you to focus on verse 20 and see if your mind can grasp this truth. Verse 20. When I am raised to life again, you will know. So I'm going to ask you, do you? You will know what? That I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each one of them. His job is to reveal himself to us. You will know. Do you know what he says you'll know? I'm asking, do you know what he says you'll know? Because he says after his resurrection, you'll know. Do you know what he says you'll know? I'll answer that question with this. Are you still thirsty? Are you satisfied with Jesus? Is he enough or do you want more? Now let me pause for a moment and describe something to you. What I have witnessed in the modern American church. Much of the modern American church has a gospel that some have given a label to called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is this idea that if you come to Jesus, if you confess him as your Lord and Savior, that God's response to you is prosperity. That God's response to you, if you believe and you have faith, he'll give you that car, he'll give you that house, he'll give you that promotion, he'll give you that life, he'll give you that stuff. Well, there's one fundamental problem with that prosperity gospel. It's all based on the idea that in himself, Jesus is not enough. That the only way Jesus is enough is if Jesus gives you stuff. That if Jesus gives you that BMW, or he gives you that house, or he gives you that six-figure income, or he gives you, or he heals that sickness, or he responds to your particular request, like rubbing a genie in a bottle. You see, the, the problem with all of that is this, that in himself, Jesus is not enough. Is that true? You know what the basis of all idolatry is? Listen, the basis of all idolatry is that God is not enough that there needs to be something else. And yet the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. You will not create unto yourself anything. Because why? Because I'm enough. What about when you're sick? He's enough. What about when your kid is dying in a hospital? He's still enough. He's always enough. And the idea that somehow or another he's not enough creates a group of people that are never satisfied because you've missed the only thing that cures the thirst. 
Jesus. He's enough. So how did the people at the festival respond to Jesus' offer of living water? Let's go back to the story. He says, he shouts, anybody who wants water, come get it. So what'd they do? Everybody runs and gets the water, right? No. Some will, some won't. Verse 40. When the crowds heard him say this, what? Come get the water. Some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Well, that's optimistic. Somebody's getting it. Others said he's the Messiah. Well, that's good too. They're getting it. Still others said, but he can't be. Uh-oh. He can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where the King David was born. Do you see it? You see, they still don't know who he is. All this time, they still do not know who he is. They think he's from Galilee. He just said, I'm leaving. I'm going back where I came from. Where do you think that is? Galilee? No, I'm from heaven. But I got a bigger question, bigger question, bigger observation. You ready? Because here it comes. Do you see what Jesus is doing in Jerusalem that day? He's dividing people. This is the part that I find the church struggles with. He's dividing people. He, some people think he's the Messiah. Some people are calling for the guards to get the handcuffs. And here he stands in the middle. He's dividing two groups of people. He's dividing the believers from the unbelievers. And here he stands in the middle. He's not changed. He's still constant. But the only difference is some people believe he is who he says he is, and others believe you're not who you say you are. He's dividing people. But wait, wait. but what's really dividing the people? Truth. Truth is dividing them. And truth is dividing people today. Let me hold it up in its real form. Truth was dividing people in Jerusalem that day. Truth is dividing people today. Some people will stand on one side of this, and some people will stand on the other side of this. And here this stands unchanged in the center. Is this truth? And I must tell you that truth is not an ideology. Truth is a person. Truth has a name. Jesus. All must come to the conclusion. Whether you want to say it out loud or not, everybody's going to come to this conclusion. Either Jesus is who he says he is, or he's a liar. He can't be both. He says he's the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He told those people that day that I won't be here much longer. I'm going to go back to my daddy in heaven. You'll search for me and you won't be able to find me and you won't be able to go where I'm going. Now, is he telling the truth? They were calling for the guards because they didn't believe that he's telling the truth. But there's no middle. There's no middle on this man named Jesus. Either you believe him or you don't believe him. Some said, surely he's a prophet. Some said, he's the Messiah. He's the prophet and he's the priest. No, he can't be. He's from Galilee. There's no way. 
Next verse, verse 43. So the crowd was divided. What's he doing? He's drawing a line down the center of Jerusalem. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested. But no one laid a hand on him. Not yet. Do you see the gap? On one side, he's the Messiah. And on the other side, he's somebody get the handcuffs and call the guards. There's no middle. That's why it's a crisis. There's no middle. There's only two sides. I'm about to reveal a very deep spiritual truth that some of you are going to have a hard time taking home today. Did Jesus come to bring peace on earth? If you read the angel's declaration in the King James Version of the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks at night, then you might come to the conclusion, if you only read that, that Jesus, God sent his son to bring peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe Jesus came to bring peace on the earth? You see, I'm afraid that the average church person would say yes. But you'd be wrong. In fact, he very clearly describes that that's not why he came. No, no. His arrival in Jerusalem for the festival of shelters didn't bring peace to the city. It brought division to the city. He stood and he separated people. This stands and it separates, it divides. It just stands. Jesus just stands. And people align themselves to him one way or the other. You believe it or you don't. It just stands. Let me prove it to you. Matthew 10, 32. Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Now, I want you to understand something. There is no middle in this statement. Whoever acknowledges me publicly on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. What if you refuse to acknowledge him publicly on earth? What if you're afraid to say his name out loud? I've told the other two services that sometimes it's entertaining for me just to wear that Jesus shirt that we have, um, we've sold in years past. If you want to have an interesting day, just wear the Jesus shirt. In the front, some of you have seen it, it just says Jesus. In the back says, heaven's coming, Maranatha, Hosanna, hallelujah, amen. Wear that thing to somewhere. Just wear it to the doctor's office. Wear it to the Walmart. Wear it somewhere. And people are going to give you the strangest look. They're going to ask you the strangest questions. Sometimes they're going to go, oh, you're one of those. Yeah, I'm one of those. In fact, one time there's this person comes up to me and he says, oh, so you think you're Jesus? I said, no, no, I don't think I'm Jesus. I work for Jesus. I don't think I'm Jesus. One of my favorite stories, there's a Mexican restaurant here in town. I'm not going to tell you which one, but there are several. That, that in that Mexican restaurant, I had that Jesus shirt on one day, and the guy behind the counter had his shirt on, and it said J-E-S-U-S on it. Now, I'm aware that in Spanish, that's Jesus. 
But anyway, I thought it was a really good opportunity to have a conversation and a little fun. So I go up to the Jesus guy and I say, ah, oh, your name, my name. Yeah, you say, how do you say that? He says, Jesus. I say, Jesus. So then I said to him, do you feel any pressure by having that name? And he said, much pressure, much pressure. <laughs> True story. True story. He started bowing like, oh, much pressure. In other words, I wish my parents hadn't named me Jesus. So I'm going to read it. With that said, listen, I'm going to read this again. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth. Is there anywhere you wouldn't wear that shirt? Is there anywhere you wouldn't say that name? Is there anywhere that you would be embarrassed to hold up his words? Think carefully. Because I can tell you what he said. Anyone, everyone who acknowledges me publicly on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace on earth. Did you hear me? Jesus said, don't imagine that I have come to bring peace on earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Verse 35, I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to this life, to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Jesus is the dividing line between the living and the dead. He just stands there and offers living water. And some will and some won't. Jesus stands alone as the single source of truth, as the single source of life. Jesus stands in the gap. He offers this water, but he knows, he knows it's been prophesied that many will never drink this water. Jesus comes and he offers terms of peace. I want you to consider the gospel in this light. Jesus comes from the Father offering terms of peace. But he knows that the world will never receive his terms. They won't accept them. This is not a negotiation. Listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the offer of living water, is not a negotiation. This is your opportunity to surrender or face or face your absolute destruction. That's the truth. This is not a negotiation. Jesus has already prophesied that the love of most will grow cold. And believers will be hated all over the world in the last days. He prophesied it because he already saw it. It's going to happen. Jesus stands in the gap. And Jesus is the dividing line between the living and the dead. He stands in the gap. He is the one power that holds back the darkness he is the truth that holds back the lie. He is heaven that holds back hell. He divides nations. He divides families. 
He's even dividing churches. He is the dividing line. He doesn't move. He is constant. 241 years ago this week, July 4th, there was a declaration of independence declared. Independence from Great Britain. Looking back at American history, obviously it was God-ordained. Here's why I say that. In the past 241 years, no nation on earth has done more to expand the gospel of Jesus Christ than this nation. No nation has sent out more missionaries. No nation has printed more Bibles. No nation has done send more people to more places to proclaim the light of the gospel of Christ than this nation. But today we stand and our nation is being divided. And if you think this is about Republicans or Democrats, then you still haven't figured it out yet. The Word of God is dividing the nation. Some will, some won't. Some believe, some don't. Families are being divided. The nation is being divided. Churches. I can kind of get the whole nation thing. I can kind of get the whole family thing. But what really gets me is I'm watching the church divided. Some of the church is rejecting the very word that makes the church the church. Give us that prosperity gospel, preacher. That's what people want. Give us some good news, preacher. Why do you got to talk about the blood and hail and judgment? Give us that prosperity gospel. Show me the Jesus that gives you a BMW. That's what I want. Jesus is enough. And there's a day coming, and no matter what car you got, Jesus is enough. Luke 12, 49, Jesus says this, I have come to set the world on fire. And I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me. He saw the cross coming. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me. And I'm under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think I've come to bring peace on the earth? No. I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me and two against. Two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son, and son against their mother, against their daughter, and daughter against their mother, and mother-in-law against their daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against their mother-in-law. So I'm going to ask everybody a question today. What are you going to do with this man named Jesus? All mankind will be required to answer the question. Even if you don't know your answer in the question, you're going to answer the question. What are you going to do with this man named Jesus? The people in Jerusalem that day were divided by Jesus. And the believers were planning to arrest Him on that day. What's the church going to do with this man named Jesus? Let me ask it another way. What's the church going to do with the words that describe the man named Jesus? Will we stand on them? Will we go along? Will we compromise? It's interesting to me that when Jesus stood in Jerusalem that day, one side said He's the Messiah and the other one said, put Him in jail. I read a story about a guy who runs a bakery in America. And he's just got a business that feeds his family. He bakes wedding cakes. And a homosexual couple comes to his store and asks him to bake a 
cake for their wedding. Just go along, baker. Just go along. But he said, I can't go along. Because I stand on the truth of the Word of God. It doesn't move. It just stands there. So, no, I can't participate in that because to me, that's wrong. To me, it's sin. Not because of me, because the Word of God says it's sin. So I really, there's lots of places to go get you a cake. Go get a cake somewhere else. So surely those people getting married will just go get a cake somewhere else, right? No. Crucify him. You know, their effort from that day forward was to take away his business to have him put in jail. There's no one in the middle, folks. Either he's the Messiah or everyone who aligns themselves with him will become the enemy. Why, did they, why couldn't they just say, Jesus, you know what? I don't believe you're the Messiah, but whatever. No, get the guards. Baker, we'll find another place to get the cake. No, take everything he owns. Bankrupt him. Put him in jail. I got to tell you, what follows this in the story is my favorite part today. They had sent the guards to arrest Jesus. They had dispatched soldiers to arrest Jesus. And this is what happens. Verse 45, when the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? We have never heard anyone speak like this. We have never heard anyone speak like this. I can tell you, I can relate to these guards. I have never heard anyone speak like this man, Jesus. I didn't hear his words with my ears like the guards, but I have read his words and they have pierced my very soul. I have read his words and they did something inside of me that I cannot explain. They have satisfied my thirst. I have experienced enough. My heart is not troubled anymore. Even when my circumstances are troubling, my heart is still. My heart is at peace. I am fully convinced that Jesus has placed his living water, his Holy Spirit, inside of me. And I can honestly tell you today, and I will tell anybody today, I'm not thirsty anymore. I am satisfied. He is enough. Forget the prosperity gospel. He's enough. I tell some people about this living water of Jesus and they laugh at me. I get it. I wear the Jesus shirt to Walmart and some people say, Gee, you're one of those. I get it. I get it. He's enough. And everyone who mocks me or mocks the word, I have noticed something. Have you noticed? They're all thirsty. And I'm not. They're all still thirsty. They're not satisfied. There is no amount of stuff that will satisfy the longing of the human soul. Except Jesus. The guards told their bosses that day that they had never heard anyone speak like Jesus. They said, how can we oppose him? How can we arrest him? 
How can we be against him? So how do you think that went over among their very thirsty bosses? Next verse. Verse 47. Have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? You see how they're talking down to them? They're attacking them because they believe Jesus. Same today. They attack believers of Jesus. Like, we're intellectual. You're stupid. So you're stupid allows you to believe him. Listen again to what they said. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is upon them. It's the same thing the elites say to Christians today. You ignorant, stupid Christians clinging to your Bibles. Clinging to a 2,000-year-old myth about a man from heaven. Can you hear Jesus saying these words? I can. Do you think I have come to bring peace on the earth? No. I have come to divide people against each other. Don't imagine I have come to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I don't know what they did with those guards that day. I don't know. It's not recorded. But there's one man that day that I do know what happened. He stood up and he spoke up in the middle of that scene. We met him for the first time in John chapter 3 as Jesus told him how he could be born again of the water and the Spirit. That night he came to Jesus in secret. But in this chapter, he stands up in public. And he defends Jesus and he defends the guards. Who is he? His name is Nicodemus. Is there? He responds to this statement. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believe in him? Nicodemus' answer is yes. One. Me. Next verse. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? He asked. They replied, are you from Galilee too? See, immediately they attack him. Are you from Galilee too, Nicodemus? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. Then the meeting broke up and everyone went home. Nicodemus stood up and Nicodemus spoke up that day. And when he did, they mocked him, just like they mocked Jesus. You see, the problem is they thought Jesus was from Galilee. Nicodemus thought he was from heaven. They thought Jesus was the son of Joseph, the carpenter. Nicodemus thought he was the son of God. They thought Jesus was from Galilee, come from Egypt, born in Bethlehem. Nicodemus said, no, he's the very son of God. Do you think Jesus is the son of a carpenter from Galilee? I'm asking. You see, what will determine your response is who you think he is. If you thought Jesus was the man from heaven, you'd take hold of him. What are you going to do with this man named Jesus? What is your plan? Do you have a plan? I find that many people in the church, quite frankly, they plan everything in their life except eternity. Do you have a plan? We wear that little nifty shirt that on the back says heaven's coming. And you know what? That's absolutely true. Heaven's coming, but I'm going to tell you hell's coming too. 
and not everybody goes to heaven. What's your plan? Are you satisfied today? Anybody in the room thirsty today? What are you going to do with this man named Jesus? Before you answer, I should read these words one more time. Matthew 10, 32. Because this is really powerful to me. And what I plan to do with what remains of my life. Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth. I want to be one of those guys. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't imagine that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. So I've decided what I'm going to do with this man named Jesus. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to follow him, and to the best of my ability, I'm going to obey him. And I'm going to worship him. And I'm going to stand up and I'm going to speak up. And I'm not going to shut up. I'm going to turn on the light and I'm going to tell the truth. And I'm going to tell as many people as I have breath that he is the living water that satisfies. He is enough. I'm going to acknowledge publicly that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And I'm going to meet him one day. Maybe very soon. And this is what I'm expecting on that day. Revelation 3, 5. I'm expecting this. All who are victorious. Jesus said, all who are victorious will be clothed in white. And I will never erase their names from the book of life. But I will announce before my Father and His angels, they are mine. He belongs to me. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He's saying to the churches. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. Anyone with ears to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what He's saying to the churches. What? Anybody thirsty? There's a water that satisfies. The water is not drinking water. The water is life. The water is the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit, which is life, comes inside of you, you're not going to have life. You have life now. Are you thirsty? Anybody thirsty? Today, we're going to specifically sing an invitation. It's not an invitation to come to Terry Cooper or even to Nineveh Christian Church. It's to come to Jesus Christ and drink the water. Some will, some won't. The invitation's open. Stand. It's hungry.